Welcome back to the Love Your Story podcast. A few years ago, I was volunteering at the Parliament of Religions, a space where every religious affiliation you can think of across the world, monks, Wiccans, Christians, tribal leaders, etc., they were all coming together for a conference of understanding one another better and working together. So I'm walking through the meditation labyrinths and the info tables and the food booths, and I find this unmanned table with a stack of books and the word muse on it. So I stop because I'm always looking for my muse as a writer and start flipping through this book. There's a sign that says 20 bucks and a stack of these books. So I pick it up. It's well illustrated. You got to love an easy read, right? The concepts were exactly what I wanted to know more about as I personally studied story and worked with my clients on finding and crafting their stories. So I dropped 20 bucks, took a book, and tucked it in my pack. I use this book, The Circle of the Nine Muses, for the development of my Story Launchpad workshop, and I got a much broader view of helping organizations extract their stories. This is a nice, thick book with lots in it. So I knew David and worked with his stuff way before I made contact with him as a person. Needless to say, I am super stoked to hop on this conversation with him because business leaders out there, this is the real stuff. He's really good at what he does. David Hutchins has been exploring the intersection of narrative, leadership, and complex systems change for more than 20 years. He's a best-selling author, business writer, and learning designer. He created solutions for the Coca-Cola company, PayPal, Walmart, Accenture, IBM, L'Oreal, the U.S. Olympic Committee, and others. He travels the world. He shares this knowledge of story and how to use it. So stay tuned for the good stuff because we're going to get into a conversation with him that business leaders, professionals alike, you're going to want to listen in. And the everyday person just wanting to understand story a little better, you're going to love this too. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee. And I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. David is the author of The Circle of the Nine Muses a storytelling field guide for innovators and meaning makers, and is a creator of The Learning Fables, a book series that uses narrative and metaphor to illustrate principles of organizational learning, with titles that include Outlearning the Wolves and Shadows of the Neanderthal. The popular business fables have sold more than a quarter million copies in over a dozen languages. Very exciting. David, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Thank you so much, Lori. I'm delighted to be here. And I did not quite realize that our point of connection was the Parliament of Religions, because I was also there at that event. Were Uh, you there? I was actually there. So when you bought the book, I was probably 20 feet away from you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nobody was there. I thought, whose ever book this is, um, they're pretty brave just to leave a whole stack of them here. It was the only unmanned (laughs) booth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we, we don't put that much value on the book. If if people steal them, I'm okay with that. So That's really funny. Um, No, and I've never told you that that was our our point of contact. So cool. Yeah. What were you doing there? 
I was working with an organization called the Life Story Library uh, based out of Salt Lake City. And we had a booth where anybody could come in and tell their story and we would capture it on video. Yeah, that was a great booth. You were a part of that. That was it. So I, I was helping to structure that so that it could be a good story experience. And, you know, usually my world is organizational. I'm, I'm not usually in the, you know, world religion, but, but it was an amazing experience. All these people from all over the world came in and sat down and told their stories. I remember one woman came in and sat down on the stool in front of me and I said, are you ready? And we hit record and she started her story and she said, I am a Wiccan. And... It was interesting because, you know, I've in my head, I started thinking, no, actually, she didn't say Wiccan. She said, I'm a witch. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. I, I haven't met any witches. I know some Wiccans. I wonder if witch is similar to Wiccan or how are they different? So I'm aware I'm having this dialogue in my head. And simply by thinking these things, I'm aware how it, it's like it's put a separation between me and this woman. And so I had to make a, a decision to turn that off and simply be present so I could hear her story. And then the story she told was about how she recently has found out she has breast cancer. And she talked about how scared she was. Wow. And her story had nothing to do with being a witch. She just got human really fast. Really fast. And over and over again, I had this experience at the Parliament of World Religions where people would, this is the model I noticed, people would show up and say, let me show you how I'm different. Now accept me in the ways that we are the same. It's like we have to go through that doorway of difference before we can get to the commonality. That's what I learned from the Parliament of World Religions. That is so beautiful. That is yeah. so beautiful because how often truly, we're all so much more alike than we are different. And yet those differences are the sort of the little boundaries that we have up around us because those are the spaces for judgment or where we, you know, where we're concerned about separation or judgment. And so that always comes into how we use story to navigate, to either show our similarities or to illustrate our differences for acceptance. Yeah. And this is why people who do international peacekeeping work. Start mm -hmm. with story. My colleague in Washington, D.C., Paul Costello, has an organization called New Story Leadership, where he brings together young leaders from Israel and Palestine, you know, young people who've been taught to mm -hmm. destroy each other. And they live together in Washington, D.C. for a summer or for a year, and they spend that time telling each other stories. That is so awesome. I, and then I love they become that. a leadership team. They love each other by the time it's over and they're ready to collaborate. And so, yeah, this dynamic of difference leading to connection and similarity, story is uniquely capable of creating that. When I was working on my master's thesis, I was specifically looking at the personal narratives that the outdoor recreationalists tell within their own folk group. And that was so fascinating when you started breaking that down and looking at how we use story. So I, I was looking specifically at the function of story. But the function of story, when you start looking at it from an academic standpoint of 
I'm telling this story to establish reputation and I'm telling this story to establish credibility within this folk group. And I'm telling this story, you know, and there's all of these reasons that the story is actually being told. And when you start to comprehend how we use story, not even on purpose, like we intuitively know how to use story for those that are, you know, don't have social inabilities, right? We intuitively know how to use story to establish ourselves within groups. And so when you put groups of people together that are dispersed in their beliefs and their systems are different, they're still going to be able to use story and they may accentuate the similarities or they may accentuate the differences, but eventually that story creates understanding and that's intensely powerful. Isn't that an amazing thing that, you know, when I work with leadership groups all around the world, the experience I keep having, what people keep saying is, you know, I'll I'll bring leaders together and they'll start sharing in in story, you know, embracing this language that's narrative. And a lot of them, a common comment after that experience is, wow, I've been working with this guy next to me for 10 years. I feel like I learned more about this person in 15 minutes than I did in 10 years. And it's because of when we share stories and we get this powerful connection with each other, it's incredibly engaging. So do you see that a lot then when you're out and you're working with these businesses that they haven't bothered to tell stories yet? Or do you find that they're using stories naturally and you just get to teach them how to use them purposefully? Or is it something where you get to say, okay, now you have a chance to tell your story to understand it better. And then this is how you can use it. Maybe it's a little bit of all those things. Uh, The short answer is leaders aren't doing this. And in the big companies that I work with, they're not doing this. It has been lost. This old, old capability that we've had for tens of thousands of years, people come into the organization and they switch. They start talking in a different way. They start putting slides together in PowerPoint with numbers on them, and they start talking in bullet points. And there's something about story that almost feels too vulnerable or emotional or subjective. And I would argue all those things are features of story. <laughs> those aren't liabilities. You know, I'm, I'm working with a technology consulting firm, one of the biggest ones in the world. And the, here's what they're hearing is, you know, they'll go into a potential client where they're bidding for a piece of business. And this might be a quarter billion dollar contract or half a billion dollars in business. And they're going up against other big competitors. And increasingly, customers, potential customers are saying to them, you know, listen, we we already know what your solutions are. You know, we know what you're going to say because your, your competitor is going to come in here and they're going to say something pretty similar. And what we want to know is, who are you? Show us what's special about you. Make us believe in you. I mean, customers are literally using this language. And, and so my customer, the, this technology firm, is saying, we don't know how to answer that question. I mean, we, in the past, we've always won by selling our solutions. And now this conversation is changing and make us believe, what does that even mean? And so this technology firm is saying, we think story has something to do with this. And I'm saying, yes, I, I think you're right. I think you should be telling stories. Tell us who you are, why you do what you do, why you believe in the work. And, you know, in, in this age where innovation has become commoditized, if, you, if your company does have an innovation, your competitors, if they don't have it yet, they'll have it pretty soon. 
you know, the shelf life of innovation has become so short that increasingly customers and markets and partners are making selections based on values, based on belief, and not on solutions. I, I think the history of, yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense. And the history, you know, we've always told story as human beings. You know, that's where we've come to prehistory, right? That's how we have communicated and told story and shared ideas and shared warnings and transmitted learning. And so we've always known how to use it. And then we got to this space, I want to say 70s or 80s, where every that that became uncool. What was cool and what was professional was to have the charts and have the data and to have the business speak and to be more remote and hardcore and focused. And that went on for a while. And then I think there was this shift of realization that we're not connecting. Like There's a better way to connect with people. And now there's more of an enlightenment around story, you know, specifically being in this space that you're in, story is the catchword. More businesses are hiring people like yourself and on staff, you know, storytellers for their branding, for their connection with their clients and, and really figuring this out because there is a better way to connect, which is story. It's the genre that everybody understands. It's the genre that doesn't matter what your target market is, you're going to be able to connect with them. Male, female, email, doesn't matter the culture, doesn't matter the age, everybody's going to get stories. So when you're looking at a technique of what can I share with my target market, maybe it's employees, maybe it's um, investors, maybe it's the end consumer, story's still going to work in every one of those places. And don't you see a increased understanding of that out in the business world so that they are starting to be willing to put money behind it to shift into developing that? I am starting to see that. And, and especially in the case of this technology firm, if customers are saying, you're not getting the quarter billion dollar contract because we didn't like how you failed to connect with us. Well, that's a pretty powerful pain point right there. So a lot of my customers are feeling the pain saying, you know, we're, we're not embracing this necessarily because we love it, but because we're not winning and we want to win. Mm. And we think this is how you win. So just a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you before we hit record, you know, my, my son is a, a senior in high school. You, you shared that your kids are just went to college. So we're touring colleges right now, checking out the campuses. And so um, we were here at a, a college in Tennessee where I live. And uh, after the campus tour, we sat down. My son Oliver is, is 17. We sat down with the admissions counselor at this university. And so she had her clipboard and she was interviewing them. And she was saying, so, you know, what's your GPA? And he told her and she wrote it down. And she was like, have you taken the ACT? Yeah, I have. Well, what was your score? Okay, good. And so she's writing all of it down, you know, extracurricular activities. And, you know, she's writing notes. So as the dad, I was sitting there. I'm trying not to be like the helicopter parent, you know. So I, I'm just shutting my mouth. But this interview is driving me crazy. <laughs> And so you finally, love those moments. <laughs> yeah. And so finally, after a while, I couldn't stand. I, I said, hey, Ollie, tell her about your tomato garden. And the admissions counselor looks at Oliver and goes, the tomato garden? And Ollie goes, well, yeah. So last year, as part of a school project, I decided to start a vegetable garden at our house in our backyard. And I wanted it to be completely sustainable and organic. And so he started telling the story of this tomato garden and what it meant to him and how he discovered he really loved it. 
and how he couldn't wait to come home from school. He find, found out he loves being in the garden. And then he talked about how when it came time to harvest, he, he harvested more than a thousand tomatoes. Wow. Yeah, it was an amazing crop. And we couldn't eat them fast enough and we couldn't can the tomatoes fast enough. And so then he did this fundraiser where he gave away tomatoes in return for donations. He raised $700, which he gave to a nonprofit organization here in Nashville that helps women come out of sex trafficking and addiction. We even have this picture of Oliver at Thistle Farms, this social enterprise, giving them the money. And all these women who are former street walkers have their arms around him or celebrating. So he, he told this story to the admissions counselor. He got real so fast, right? Like all of a sudden this kid has dimension and purpose and depth and is way more interesting. And his personality came out. You saw his passion and he was having fun telling the story. And literally I watched the admission counselor take her clipboard and she sat down in her lap and just folded her hands in her lap. And she was staring at him like she was in love with him. You know? (laughs) And at the end of the story, literally at the end of the story, she said, Oliver, you are the kind of student that our school would love to have. Cha-ching. That's cha-ching is right. We got in the car and he goes, Dad, I hear you always hear you talking about the story thing. Is that it? (laughs) I was like, that was it. And I said, I predict that story may have been worth sixty thousand dollars. Wow. You know? Just one story, knowing when to tell the right story. Isn't that amazing? And so there it is again. Yeah, he's got the list of the grades and capabilities, but the people are saying, give me a point of connection. Show me who you are. And that's not just teenagers and college admissions. This is in multi-billion dollar deals. Show us who you are and what you believe. We are in the purpose economy. Where, you know, Forbes and Adweek did a study that shows that the number one characteristic that organizations look for when they're choosing strategic partners is not capabilities. Capabilities isn't even number two. It's actually pretty far down the list. Number one is values. What do you Mm. believe? What do you care about? Show us what you care about. And values isn't that statement of excellence and quality and customer service. It's not the document that hangs in the lobby of the building. It's the story. Show us, show us what it looks like when you're living this stuff. You know, make it real. When I'm working with my clients and helping them find the, their values, you know, if they say my value is innovation in, you know, in technology, though, though we have the highest systems working for our clients, and then they can't tell me any stories. They can't find any stories of them actually impersonating this, right? Creating this space. I'm like, that's not really your value then. If you can't provide me with any stories that show this in action, that's not the value you're working from. So if you don't have the stories, then, you know, that's great. That's just information. Maybe what I think my values are not really my values. Let's look and see what do I have stories around so I can see what I am valuing. And if I want to change that, that gives me the information I need to shift. You know, there's this thing that a lot of leaders do. I notice young leaders doing this a lot is when I meet them, they'll introduce themselves by saying, hi, I'm Joe and I'm passionate about supply chain management. And a lot of people will introduce themselves, you know, here's what I'm passionate about. And there's always a part of me that when I hear people say that, you know, I'm passionate about supply chain management. I always think, no, you're not. You know, (laughs) it's like, I, I don't believe that. That's just a, you're using the word passion. But if you tell a story and talk about, here's a time that I and the team did something remarkable. 
and I was proud of what the team did. I might conclude, wow, John is really passionate about supply chain management, right? So don't tell me what you love. Don't tell me what you care about as if it was a bullet point on a resume. Tell the story. The story becomes the proof point. Let the story do the work for you. And then the conclusion is your audience says, wow, this person really does have a value for excellence, right? Absolutely. And when earlier when I was talking about the master's work and studying the function of story, that's one of those functions. You're illustrating you in action. You don't even have to explain and say, this is my value. You have just told them everything they need to know in a genre and in a way that they tuned into, that they can remember, that illustrates exactly what you want them to understand. It's just such a phenomenal, powerful tool that when people know how to use it, wow, you've got the key to communication and connecting in a succinct and beautifully effective way. It's almost too easy, right? (laughs) Because it's at one level, it's not a skill that you have to learn. I mean, this is our natural operating system for making sense Mm -hmm. of the world. We, We all have this. Before you hit record on this podcast, you and I we just naturally started telling stories to each other. You talked about your kids being gone and what it's like to go shopping now when you don't have to shop for your kids. And we started telling stories. No one had to say to us, you know, if you would share a narrative, it would create a bond of connection, but we just do it. And so it's bringing this natural capability into the work that we care about and just noticing it and being intentional and then being strategic about it. Absolutely. And I think that that strategy is something that we as story professionals help them understand how to do, right? And remind them who they are and remind them of their natural ability to tell stories and then help them sift through and find them if they're not using them. And it does seem interesting that we all need to be reminded of it because we do if we're not usually in that space. But it's an important thing. It's an important work. So that takes me to the question of, I'm personally very interested in knowing what you love most about story as an individual. And how did you get into this work? Hmm. What I love about story is its ability to disarm and how it changes the conversation. And what I saw happen with Ollie and the admission counselor, and what I see happening with my technology consulting firm and their customers, and how something shifts when you tell a story. The way I got into this, actually, you know, I've, I've kind of always been in the business of story. I started my career in advertising as a copywriter. So I, I used to work in big advertising agencies in Dallas, in in Atlanta. And so that's an old idea, right? That, you know, marketers have known this a long time that if I tell a story, people will buy more Coca-Cola, right? But after I left the ad business, you know, I I got tired of writing about hamburgers for 60 hours a week. And I wanted to write about something else. I wanted to write about innovation and leadership. And during the 1990s, I was doing some work with Coca-Cola. This is when I lived in Atlanta. And Coca-Cola in the 90s was working on a system-wide initiative where they were investing in becoming what it was known as a learning organization. If you've read Peter Singe and the fifth discipline and the the body of knowledge around organizational learning theory, Coca-Cola had made a commitment as a system to becoming this kind of learning organization. And early in the work, they, they came to me and said, Dave, we have a problem. Nobody here at Coke understands what we're talking about when we say we want to become a learning organization. 
which, you know, some people read the fifth discipline and, you know, it's, it can be a little academic and some people don't enjoy that kind of stuff. You know, organizational geeks love it. I, I think it's exciting stuff, but some people don't enjoy that. And so I created a communication solution to help people at Coca-Cola understand what is a learning organization. And so I wrote uh, a silly story that, was, that showed a flock of sheep outwitting a pack of hungry wolves. And in the process, they display characteristics of a learning organization. And I called a friend of mine who is a children's book illustrator, and I, I said, hey, Bobby, you got to help me out. Draw some sheep and some wolves for me. And so I dropped these images into this crazy story I wrote, and I called it Outlearning the Wolves, Surviving and Thriving in a Learning Organization. Outlearning the Wolves ended up not quite working at Coca-Cola for some strategic reasons, and so I kept the, the manuscript and uh, sent it to a publisher. And that's part of what became known as the Learning Fables series, which you reference at the very beginning of the podcast. And that crazy story of outlearning the wolves went all over the world. People translated it into a dozen different languages. I started hearing these stories of an entire law enforcement and police department within Singapore putting on wolf and sheep costumes and acting it out. How at financial services firms here in North America, people were putting on puppet shows with wolves and sheep as ways of bringing organizational learning theory into the organization. And so really, it was that was kind of the moment in the 1990s, early 2000s, where I said, what was it about this crazy little story? I, I didn't predict that it would work as well as it did. I was just trying to solve a, a problem for my client, right? Which that had to be so satisfying to see something that you had put together really make that kind of impact. Yeah. And that was really the moment where I said, what is it about this story that has created this different kind of engagement? And that was probably the moment where I said, you know what, I want to focus specifically on this, this idea of stories. And so this was in the early 2000s when, you know, now it's a buzzword. A lot of people are talking about it, which is great. It was kind of a strange idea. I actually had a hard time selling this when I first started doing it. This is one of the very few times I've been ahead of the curve. So this, it's rewarding to see so many people interested in this conversation now. So you transitioned out of corporate advertising through the, sort of this was the bridge and then just started doing your own work, which is basically consulting, correct? Right. So I kind of have two parallel careers. One is organizational learning and the other is organizational communications. So I've done a lot of communications work. I've, I've done some executive speech writing. I, I used to write for Doug Daft, who is the CEO at Coca-Cola Company. I've written lots of annual reports which is a storytelling document, right? If you've seen corporate annual reports, there's the financial statements. But then there's the piece that says, let us put this in a narrative context. Let us show you who we were over this past year, what it meant to be Coca-Cola or what it meant to which be... Which is probably the only part anybody wants to read. <laughs> I think there's a few geeks that, that read the financial statements, but the story is where it's at. Absolutely. So you work with organizations so much, but for the people listening to the podcast today who just regular folks thinking, I want to understand and know how to use story better in my personal life, what advice or thoughts do you have about story in that context? Go back to my son, Ollie. You know, tell about a time you did something that you cared about. Tell us about a time that you were energized. Tell us about when you felt like you were most alive, 
where you discovered who you were. And, and don't say it as a series of statements. Don't say, oh, I, you know, I care about social entrepreneurship. Tell us what happened. Tell us the thing that happened. Well, a couple summers ago, I decided to start a tomato garden in my backyard. Tell the story. Let people see who you are. I mean, it's really almost too simple. A story or an angle that comes to mind for me is within relationships. We all have relationships with people, whether it's a significant other or with family members or with neighbors or, you know, someone on the PTA, you know, what, whatever it is, we have all of these relationships that we're trying to nurture and create communication that, you know, that's always the space. How do I communicate what I need and want or what's going on with whomever I want to create this connection with? And for an example, you're married to someone and so I can't even remember which husband it was, but one of my husbands, <laughs> <laughs> there, was a convers- together. <laughs> there was this conversation about, hey, at the end of the night, was kind of thinking you would be the one that would go and check through the house, close the windows, you know, lock the doors, make sure that the house was safe. And this conversation was like, well, yeah, why, you know, why, why don't you just do it too? You know, I mean, it wasn't something from his personal experience that fell into his responsibility. So I'm able to share a story that says, this isn't just me putting some, you know, another responsibility on you. This is coming from a space when I was young, my dad would go from, you know, that was my dad's responsibility. I watched him protect and keep the house safe. And I would watch him go and lock the doors every single night. You know, the ritual, making sure that the house was locked up and taken care of and that everyone was safe. And there was just a sense of well-being and that you were protected. And I think by sharing my personal story of what that is, suddenly it becomes, there's meaning behind it and understanding into who I am and why I see something the way I see it rather than just, hey, here's something I want you to do, which, you know, people often find annoying. And so in those personal relationships, and that's just, you know, that's just one silly example, but no, it's not silly at all. Being able to share a story of allows a deeper insight into connection of where somebody else is coming from. And that can be used in any relationship. When you want someone to understand something that they're not getting, turn to story. And so I love that. Uh, thank you for sharing that really personal story, Lori. And to me, that, that's exciting because it, that points to what I think is the real heart of this work. And that is the meaning-making piece of it. You know, everyone focuses on the storytelling piece. And I don't love the word storytelling. We, everyone's using the word and it's fine. There, there are things I don't like about it, including that word telling, which sounds like a one-way mm-hmm. transaction. I'm going to tell you. Because after the story is told, the work's not done. The work is just beginning because that story is so loaded with meaning and emotion and data and assumptions and conclusions and mental models and information. And so after the story is told, the work is, how do we unpack that and say, what does that story mean? How does that affect how we are looking at the world and at ourselves and our, at each other? And so really, when I tell people the work I'm doing is in storytelling, Really, the work I'm doing is in meaning making. And, you know, your conversation with your husband is, so it's not just locking the doors. Locking the doors means something to me. 
and let me tell you what that is. And then story was the vehicle for this knowledge creation and meaning making. And so that's a perfect illustration of what I'm helping leaders and organizations do. Not simply telling a story so people will buy more Coca-Cola or so that people will go do what you want them to do, but it's story for identity formation, for culture mm -hmm. creation, for knowledge sharing. So when I work with leadership teams, we come together and we don't just tell stories. We then have a conversation where we say, all right, I heard something in that story. I heard an assumption in that story, or I heard a behavior in that story. I wish more people in our organization would do what you did in that story, and then name the behavior. So unpacking all of that stuff really is the heart of this work, and that's what I'm helping organizations do. Tell the story and then say, who are we? What does it mean to be us? That is so powerful. I love what you're doing. So if people wanted to get a hold of you to work with you or further a conversation, how can they do that? Easy to find. Go to davidhutchins.com. I think that you'll have that in the show notes, right? I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and I'm on the social media. davidhutchins.com is your best place to start, and you can see resources. I've got the, the books. I have a new product that is the Leadership Story Deck. It's a deck of cards that's loaded with dozens of story types that leaders should be telling. Mm. Simply going through this deck of cards will trigger ideas. You'll go, ooh, I have a story like that. It never that's occurred a to great me. great idea. Yeah, great it's really idea. fun. It's been a really exciting addition to the work. So yeah, come check out all the fun at davidhutchins.com. Thank you. Do you have any parting words? Go tell a story. Ask somebody for a story. Next time you're with your partner or with your team and you come into the conference room and, you know, in business, we're moving fast all the time and we've got a packed agenda and we've got to get through here in 30 minutes because there's a group that wants the conference room after us. Slow down for a moment and say, hey, I know you just came back from a client meeting in Atlanta. What's the best thing that happened? Tell me something you learned and start with story. It's really that simple. Thank you, David. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Lori, for your great work. My discussion with David was particularly interesting to me because as storytellers, those of us who are working actually in the business of creating understanding around story, the promotion of story, the reconnecting people with their stories, and this very human way of communicating. It's always so interesting and fun to connect with someone else who understands it and the power of it at that same level. I hope this conversation today between two people who love story gives you insight into the power and the usability within your own life. There were a couple specific examples, stories, of course, my story of how I communicated the importance of my husband closing up the house for safety, his story of Oliver um, really knocking it out of the park with a college university interview. These stories illustrate really hands-on everyday sorts of things and how we can connect better and create better understanding with the use of this story and why really David and I work in this space that is so interesting and innate to all of us and the importance of us coming to a better understanding of it. So my challenge to you today is to think of some space in your life, some relationship, some 
place where there's a communication gap, where you really want somebody, whether it's a client, whether it's a boss, whether it's a spouse, whether it's someone at your child's school, wherever that may be, someplace where you need to communicate with someone and you're having a hard time of it. There's some miscommunication. And then I would love for you to consider for a minute, what is a story, an explanatory story that you could share with this person that would clarify the idea you want them to get? So your challenge for this week is to take that story, come up with that story, take that story, go to that person, share it and see the difference that that makes in communicating your idea with them about what you're about and why whatever this topic of conversation, why it's meaningful to you and see the difference that it makes when you get into that space of maybe it's vulnerability by sharing, you know, why that thing means something to you by sharing the story of why that is important. Vulnerability creates the possibility and often that is the possibility of connection. So thank you for being on the Love Your Story podcast today. I hope you enjoyed the discussion with David as much as I did. And remember the website, www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. That's for you. That has all of these episodes and you can share them. Share the episodes, just copy the link, send it to somebody else that you think would benefit from this episode. Of course, David's contact information is going to be there on the website in the show notes. And you also have the opportunity to get the free copy of my book, The Key to Your Super Self, how understanding your inner voice, your inner critic, and learning how to regulate that unleashes your superpower. Free copy when you sign up for that. It just comes up in a pop-up box on the website. So there's lots of resources on the website for you, the listener to use. Thank you for being here. Use the website, use the tools that are on the website, share the podcast, keep enjoying, and we'll see you next week on the Love Your Story podcast.